grace and peace to us all in the name of Christ our Lord, who calls us to this time and place of worship as we make our way through the 40 days of this wilderness that is Lent, as we finally find God's love for us expressed in Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday. It is a joy to make this journey in your company. Thank you for sharing and worship at First Church this morning. As we gather, just a reminder of the registration pads that we find to our right or left because it helps us to know of you sharing in worship this morning. Again, the Lenten wreath is before us. That will be lighted by our acolyte as worship begins. As we gather for worship, just a reminder of opportunities as they are before us. I'm very grateful for the midweek Lenten services each Wednesday at noon. And we will see that the Libby Grammar, the pastor of First Baptist, will be with us this coming Wednesday. Becky Smith will offer music. And again, we share the word and we gather at the Lord's table in these times of worship. Uh, also a reminder of the prayer box in support of the Wednesday evening prayer ministry. It is found in the breezeway. And note the study of Embrace Grace that begins this Tuesday. Uh, seniors meeting next week. And just a reminder again of the church council meeting, which will be 2 o'clock on Wednesday, and then the ministry of the lunch bunch each Tuesday and Thursday. Before us this morning is a stained glass window that we see not here, but in our chapel. It is a conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus that is before us in the third chapter of John, and I look forward to sharing in the witness of this particular window in our time of worship, and I invite us to prepare to worship God together.
Our call to worship is before us. I invite us to stand as we share in this call. For God so loved the world, enough to become one of us, enough to suffer along with us, enough to offer new life for us. For God so loved the world,
I invite us to go to God with our opening prayer as we find this before us. Let us pray. Everlasting God, because of your tender mercy toward all people, you sent your Son to take upon himself our flesh and to suffer death upon the cross. Grant that we may follow the example of his patience and also be made partakers of his resurrection through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Vaughan family at this time will lead us in the extinguishing of Lenten candles. Following the extinguishing and the prayer they offer, we will share in the response of the second verse of Ah, Holy Jesus. a conversation between Jesus and a man named Nicodemus. At the end of the conversation, we hear the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In this season, we walk day by day to the cross where God gives his Son to die for us. This is proof of how much God loves us. This love of God we are now invited to accept. For this love of God we give thanks. It is the love we have seen even in the growing darkness of this season. Dear God, we are amazed that you love us so much. You give your son for us. Forgive us when we neglect your love of us. Help us to draw closer to you day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. invite our children to come forward at this time as we share in our children's time. Good morning. Good to see you this morning. So we lost an hour of sleep last night, didn't we? Yeah, it was a little rough, wasn't it? It was rough for me. But I'm glad we're here. Glad we're here to worship. And just as we know that we're, we're still in the season of winter, 
But spring is quickly approaching, isn't it? Because we can see the daffodils, and we can see some things turning green and budding, uh, telling us that spring will soon be here. Well, we know that just as we go through the year, there are four seasons, spring, summer, fall, and winter. There are different seasons in the church year, too. And while we approach the season of spring with, with our um, social calendar, we, we also know within the life of the church that we're in a season of Lent. And this season of Lent, we began actually about 10 days ago on Ash Wednesday, and it's a 40-day journey that's going to take us to the cross of Jesus. So throughout this season of 40 days, this special season of Lent, we hear of how God loves us, of how God sends his son to die for us, and how Jesus finally leads us to the cross of Good Friday. So it's very important, Tally, that we make this journey through this season. And just as we welcome each season of the year, we thank God that we're in this season that we call Lent. It's a 40-day journey that draws us closer and closer each day to the cross of Christ. So we remember this season by extinguishing the candles before us, by sharing in the scripture. Purple is a color of this season because Jesus dies as, as our king. And there are all these reminders as we journey with one another that we are seeing again the love of God that we finally see when Jesus dies for us on the cross. We know that Jesus is raised from the dead on Easter, but first we have to see how God loves us so much that he gave his own son and throughout this season of Lent, we are reminded of God's love for us. So thank you for, for making this journey through Lent with everyone here so that we see again how much God loves us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for a love so deep and so great that you give your Son. And thank you, Lord, for leading us through this holy season of Lent, this 40-day journey, so that we may again remember how much you love us so much that you give your son for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
from John, the third chapter, verses 1 through 17. First, we will pray. Lord, because of your love for us, we are free to gather, to worship, to sing your praises, to know again your presence with us. Pour your spirit upon us, that we may hear your word, that we may experience the life that is your gift to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can this be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand this? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent the Son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of our Lord. <clears throat> it was about five years ago that we shaped a series of worship services here at First Church around the stained glass windows that surround us in our sanctuary. The name of the worship series was The Witness of the Windows, Stained Glass Stories, so over a number of weeks, our worship focused on the various stories to which these windows witness. There was the Sunday when the story of Jesus' last supper with his disciples was before us. There was the Sunday when we visited again the story of the resurrected Jesus talking with two of his disciples on Easter evening. There was the Sunday when we encountered again the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter, witnessing to all who were gathered from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem on that day. Now, while many of these stories were familiar and beloved, I believed great opportunity was before us to experience anew these stories with the witness of these windows. So perhaps we hear in a new way Jesus' words of the Great Commission, go into all the world making disciples. Perhaps we see in a new way Jesus praying in Gethsemane. Perhaps we experience anew the baptism of Jesus and our baptism as well. Again, this, this holy space speaks. 
and it speaks in glorious ways of God's salvation story written for all. I remember the services fondly. I remember welcoming the opportunity to experience anew how this holy space speaks. I welcomed the opportunity to remember the faithful ones in whose memory or honor these windows are placed. However, you may have noticed in this list of windows mentioned, there is no mention of what may be the most celebrated of all conversations in our scriptures. It is the conversation between Jesus and a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus. It's the conversation before us today, and as we will discover in the weeks to come, this conversation with Nicodemus is one of several noteworthy conversations in the Gospel of John. But no mention of this conversation in the services of worship several years ago. This, despite the fact, there is a stained glass window to guide us in this conversation. There is a window here at First Church to guide us as we encounter this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. It is stained glass found in the chapel of this church. You see, before us this morning is the window placed in front of the chapel in memory of John Clyde Hooker, Sr. It was given by Dr. and Mrs. Paul B. Toms. In the window, in the chapel, as you see on your bulletin cover, you see to the right the person of Jesus, to the left there is Nicodemus, and we see in the center toward the top of the window a lamp reminding us Nicodemus came to Jesus for this conversation at night. Again, one of the most noteworthy of conversations in the Bible. You see, it's in this conversation we find it concluding with a verse which may be the most well-known and well-beloved of all verses of Scripture, the verse that finds its way to sporting events and bumper stickers and on all manner of media for who knows how long. The verse, of course, John 3, 16, and I'm sure you can recite the verse with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Not only this, this scripture also invites you and me to listen in on this conversation in which there is discussion about being born again. An important conversation. Perhaps you, like me, read years ago the best-selling book, Born Again. The book was written by the late Charles Colson. Charles, or Chuck Colson, was special counsel to President Nixon. Colson was known fondly as Nixon's hatchet man. And he gained notoriety at the height of the Watergate scandal, having pled guilty to obstruction of justice, Colson served seven months in federal prison in 1974. But before this, in 1973, Colson experienced a conversion experience, an experience that would lead to his founding of the Prison Fellowship Ministry, a conversion which would lead to the writing of his memoir titled Born Again. 
So we've heard the expression born again more times than we can count. But notice, notice what Jesus says to Nicodemus at the beginning of this conversation. It's a response Jesus offers Nicodemus to the words Nicodemus speaks as he encounters Jesus under cover of darkness. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And it's in response to these words, Jesus responds, who knows why, with these words. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. An interesting response to Nicodemus in that Nicodemus says to Jesus nothing about the kingdom of God, nothing about being born again or born anew. Still at an early point in this gospel, Jesus finds it necessary to speak of new birth, of seeing the kingdom of God. It's as if John is saying to us at the beginning of his gospel, folks, before we go any further, we are to understand right here what it is to be born anew, and we are to understand what it is to see the kingdom of God. Still, it's evident here at the beginning of this gospel that even Nicodemus, this Pharisee, this leader of the Jews, has difficulty understanding the words of Jesus about new birth. He has difficulty understanding and seeing how life is lived within the kingdom of God. You see, Nicodemus here is, is taking what Jesus is saying somewhat literally. And as he, do, as he does so, he is showing he's not really hearing what Jesus is saying. You see, Jesus is speaking of a new birth, and Nicodemus is hearing Jesus speak of being born again, that is to say, Nicodemus is hearing of a birth that is simply a repeat of one's original birth. So we can understand how Nicodemus is troubled, wondering in literal fashion how it is that someone may enter again into mom's womb so as to be born again as he or she was originally born. And understanding Jesus in this way Nicodemus shows us the, the dangers of always taking Scripture literally. You see, Jesus is not speaking of being born again. He's speaking of being born anew. And for Jesus, there is significant difference between these two births. Again, he's not speaking of being born again, because to speak of being born again is to speak of being born as we were originally born, which is to say being born again simply means being born in the flesh, means we'll be born again into sin, we'll be born as those who know distance from God, and being born again is really no different from being born the first time, and Jesus is not advocating for that. He is speaking of the need to be born anew, to be born from above, to be born not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. So Jesus speaks of being born of that which liberates us, 
of that which recreates us, of that which sets us free. Jesus is speaking of a new birth in which all is healed, a birth in which we find new life. Jesus is speaking to us of that which makes all things new, of a totally new beginning, freed from all the past. As Jesus speaks of being born anew, he speaks of being born of nothing but the Spirit of God. But as Jesus speaks of this, he speaks of being free from those things that do not give life, free of those things which do nothing but weigh us down and separate us from all that gives life. He speaks of being free from trying to find life in those things that do not give life, the principalities and the powers. He speaks of being free from all secondary obligations, from all political affiliations. He speaks of being free of all fear, setting aside anxiety, of having no obligation but to God. You must be born anew, says Jesus. Born of the Spirit. As one who finds life only in the Spirit of God, which blows where it will. In his highly autobiographical short story, A Christmas Memory, Truman Capote recalls a Christmas spent with an elderly cousin of his when he was but a child. Though this particular cousin was quite older than Truman, she was quite childlike in nature. In this story, Truman paints a very touching portrait of how he and his cousin, who calls him Buddy, both misfits in the family, find refuge in the kinship they know with each other. The particular Christmas of which Truman writes takes place in the South during the Depression. He and his cousin have no means by which to purchase gifts for each other. Still, they do what they can, and they find some paper with which they are able to make kites for each other. So having exchanged their gifts of kites as well as some fruit in the company of the cousin's rat terrier named Queenie, Truman's cousin stirs herself to say, Buddy, the wind is blowing. He writes, the wind is blowing. And nothing will do till we've run to a pasture below the house where Queenie has scooted to bury her bone and where a, year, a winter hence Queenie will be buried too. There, plunging through the healthy, waist-high grass, we unreal our kites, feel them twitching at the string like skyfish as they swim into the wind. Satisfied, sun-warmed, we sprawl in the grass and peel oranges and watch our kites cavort. Soon I forget the socks and hand-me-down sweater. I'm as happy as if we'd already won the $50,000 grand prize in that coffee-naming contest. 
My, how foolish I am, my friend cries, suddenly alert like a woman remembering too late she has biscuits in the oven. You know what I've always thought, she asks in a tone of discovery, and not smiling at me, but at a point beyond. I've always thought a body would have to be sick and dying before they saw the Lord. And I imagined that when he came, it would be like looking at the stained glass window, pretty as colored glass with the sun pouring through, such a shine you don't know it's getting dark. It has been a comfort to me to think of that shine taking away all the spooky feeling, but I'll wager it never happens. I'll wager at the very end a body realizes the Lord has already shown himself that things as they are, and her hand circles in a gesture that gathers clouds and kites and grass and queenie pawing earth over her bone, that things as they are, just what they've always seen was seeing him. As for me, I could leave the world with today in my eyes. You must be born of the Spirit, says Jesus. You must be born not again, but anew. It makes all the difference to be born not of the worries and concerns of this world, not to be obligated to the principalities and powers, but to be born only of God's Spirit. It makes all the difference in having no obligation but to the life-giving Spirit of God, the God who shows himself to us now. For it's true, the wind is blowing. I had a bulletin when I started preaching. We stand as we sing.
remain standing as we affirm our faith with words of scripture from 1 Corinthians and Colossians, number 888, in the back of our hymnals, also before us. This is the good news which we have received, in which we stand, and by which we are saved. Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day, and appeared first to the women, then to Peter and the twelve, and then to many faithful witnesses. We believe Jesus is the Christ, the appointed one of God, the firstborn of all creation, the firstborn from the dead, in whom all things hold together, in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell by the power of the Spirit. Christ is the head of the body, the church, and by the blood of the cross reconciles all things to God. We welcome one another as we pass the peace of Christ. Our ushers will come forward as we worship God with his tithes and our offerings. And there's plenty of room down here, again, if you get tired of the antiphonal up there. So, let us pray. Lord, you give to us your Son. Because of your gift, we are able to gather and worship as those born of your Spirit. We thank you for these gifts and pray that by returning but a portion to you, you would be glorified, your people blessed. Amen.
be those who pray without ceasing, who ask, who seek, who knock. So we go to God with the prayers of the people. This is a responsive time of prayer in which I will name a series of petitions of prayer, concluding each with the words, Lord, in your mercy, and inviting from you the response, hear our prayer. We conclude with the prayer that Christ has taught us. We go to God as we pray. The Lord, though we, like Nicodemus, can at times be slow to understand. You are a God who will not let us go. You refuse to be done with us. You continue to work your purpose out with us, to shape us into your likeness so that we may be pleasing to you, so that we may be truly born of your spirit. We thank you, God, that you lead us together through this season, through this wilderness, so that here, in this time and place of worship, we may hear anew your words, may experience them as never before, and may see you in all your glory, a glory revealed even upon the cross, where we see how much you love us, so much that, so that you gave your Son for us, so that we may believe and have everlasting life. Lord, in your mercy, and hear us, Lord, as we pray for the people of this congregation. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for the concerns of this community. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. <clears throat> Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for your church its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. Bishop Lewis, Denise Bates, Ministries of First Church, the United Methodist Church. Lord, in your mercy. 
And Lord, hear our prayer gathered with the prayers of our saints, those whose witness blesses us now, those through whom you continue to shine. Hear us as we pray as Christ has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the glory forever. Stand as we sing.
go from this place to find that the wind is blowing, that God is offering new life and new birth as his gift in this season. We go in the good company of one another and in the presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 